Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We speak with a mom in Niagara region who's raising a red flag about masking or lack thereof in Ontario schools. What will happen on Election Day? I break down the Ticats stamps game with Luke Tasker. Green Party leader Annamie Paul joins us to talk about the election and her future. And Hamilton will host an NHL outdoor game. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. There's a mom who's raising a red flag when it comes to masking rules in Ontario schools. She has three children attending class with the District School Board of Niagara. But she says it's becoming progressively concerned about their safety. Now, we've agreed to use her first name only. And we welcome Jacqueline to Good Morning Hamilton. Jacqueline, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You sent a detailed email to the CHML newsroom the other day, and I thought it was important enough to share with our listeners whose kids may be experiencing the same situation in their schools and have just not spoken up. Uh, Mm -hmm. You wrote in your email, quote, an increasing number of students are attending schools without wearing masks for the entirety of the day. Can you explain what you found out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just first of all, I'd like to just start off by thanking the teachers and principals and support staff. They're doing an amazing job, and their commitment to children's education through such difficult times has been truly inspirational. Um, what I'm seeing, though, in the school is, um, you know, an increase of students um, not wearing masks. They're receiving mask exemptions. Um, the, the desks are not distanced. Um, as we were told they would be. So we're looking at some classrooms with even 29 students um, and distance seating isn't even possible um, with multiple unmasked students in the classroom now. Um, It's not the safe environment the Ford government described in their return to school plan. Um, And the real missing piece in the conversation is that masks are worn to protect people around you. Um, And they provide only a small amount of protection for yourself um, and they're mostly worn to stop or slow the spread of the virus if you have COVID. Uh, this is going to affect us all. Um, the fewer kids wearing masks, the faster it's going to spread in the school, and the faster it's going to spread in the community. One of your children is in an elementary school class, and as we know, uh, those students aren't yet eligible for a vaccine. Um, uh, your child is sitting at a desk that's beside a student that's unmasked. It's also not physically distanced. Have you raised your concerns with the school and or the school board? I have, yeah. Um, I did reach out to two different superintendents. Um, I was disappointed that um, they had their uh, administrative assistant um, contact me to um, to speak with me. Um, they assured me that they're doing everything they can. Um, yeah, I just, uh, the, the distancing isn't happening. She said measures were put in place that students would be on the outer rows of the classroom um, if they're unmasked. Um, She also told me she couldn't guarantee that even the children without mask exemptions wouldn't take off their mask to speak to a friend or, um, but I I just can't help but think that that's so much different than, you know, having 25, even 30 students in a school building that have been given permission to um, travel the hallways without a mask all day long. And that is, that's what I've found when I've spoken to a few different principals. 25, even 30 children in one building um, that have these exemptions. So not only is the situation uh, disappointing, as you mentioned, but you must be feeling frustrated that no action is being taken, really. Absolutely, yeah. And um, the concern has also been raised um, with public health in our region. 
Um, and it really doesn't seem like um, the people who can influence the situation are taking this very seriously and are, are wanting to um, give us some relief and explain how, how this can be mitigated. Um, every day our children are be put, being put at risk unnecessarily. And I have to say, I homeschooled my children last year. Um, I wasn't confident that the schools would be safe, but after 18 months in here um, in a pandemic um, and with, um, you know, the return to school plan that Ford put out there, I felt that I could send my child to school and they could be safe and they deserve a right to to learn in person, um, just like everyone else. So, uh, yeah, it's very disappointing. I'm sure there are some parents out there listening right now who have thought about homeschooling. What was that like? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it was a very positive experience. My kids are amazing. They're, um, they were disappointed not to see their friends, um, but they dealt with it, just took everything in stride. But, you know, I, for the year I could do it. Um, coming into this year, um, they were desperately wanting to see their friends, and, and I, I really couldn't, I couldn't do that again and keep them home um, knowing what they'd be missing out on. And so I was really depending on the government to follow through with the promises that were made. Um, you know, the, the mask exemptions are being approved without a medical note. Uh, it doesn't have to be signed by a physician at all. Um, the Canadian Thoracic Society said there's no evidence that wearing a mask will cause a flare-up of any underlying lung condition. Um, and the Ontario College of Family Physicians has also said um, there's a restricted number of indications, like very few conditions that can justify an exemption. Um, my own daughter has severe asthma. She's been hospitalized more times than I can count and has even spent a week in the ICU with an asthma exacerbation. And she's wearing a mask all day hmm. to protect her friends. Um, so I, it's, it's very frustrating to me um, that, um, you know, there's, there's not some criteria in place. Um, I was assured actually by, um, the, the board office that, uh, when someone requests a mass exemption, uh, the principals have a lengthy conversation with them, um, uh, with the parents who wish to obtain an exemption for their child, um, about the impact on themselves and the impact of, uh, the people around them. Um, but uh, to, to be quite honest, what principal is going to look someone like that in the eye, a parent that is trying to do the best for their child, and say no, um, when they have no criteria to fall back on? They, they, you know, there's, there's nothing, um, there's no reason for a principal to be able to say, no, I can't, you know, I can't give you that um, exemption. So I, I really do think that it's a failure of um, I, the board, the Ministry of Education, we need some clarity on this, and the principals need to have something, um, you know, to guide their decision-making in, in, in these matters. Um, they've, it's really fallen in their laps, and, you know, they've got a big uh, job on their hands to keep everyone safe, and I just think it's, yeah, they've not been supported well enough. We've got about a minute here in our discussion with uh, Jacqueline and Niagara mom who's raising the red flag about uh, masking uh, rules or rules and fractions really in Niagara region. Uh, you also wrote in your, e- your email, my child is not safe at school. How close are you to pulling your child or children out? Oh, Rick, it's a very difficult situation. Uh, it's the last thing I want to do. My kids are ecstatic to be back. They're enjoying themselves. Um, and it's, it's one of those tough calls. I, I, we, my husband and I have talked many times about what, you know, would warrant our pulling them out. And I just, I haven't decided if I will wait till um, someone has COVID in her class or, um, but really, like, I should not be in this position. I shouldn't have to wait till 
um, you know, someone in my child's class has COVID and, and then have to remove my child from, um, from their educational experience. Right. Um, you're, you're exactly right. Jacqueline, uh, thanks for sharing your concerns. Uh, we will take them up with the District School Board of Niagara, hopefully maybe get some representation from the board on uh, one of our next shows, and we'll follow right. up uh, on this important topic. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, good luck with the decision, and uh, enjoy the weekend as well. Thanks so much, Rick. I really appreciate it. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Because just a few days ago, Mr. O'Toole was still applauding Mr. Kenny, for his management of the pandemic. We know the way to get through this pandemic is through vaccinations. But Mr. O'Toole is still letting the anti-vaxxers within his own party run the show. That is Liberal leader Justin Trudeau at a campaign stop in Montreal admonishing Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole for recently applauding Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's handling of the pandemic in his province, as, as we know, earlier this week, Kenny reintroduced limits on gatherings along with elements of a vaccine passport system after months of resistance. Really, Alberta was the last province to institute any sort of COVID-19 restrictions and one of the first, if not the first, to declare that the pandemic was basically over. They were open for summer, quote unquote. Uh, well, not quite. Uh, he declared a public health emergency now that's threatening to soon overload ICUs in that province. It is not a good situation in Alberta. This is Good Morning Hamilton. My name is Rick Samprin. Thanks for hopping on board today, whether you're listening on your radio online at 900CHML.com, on the Radio Player Canada app, maybe on your uh, favorite home device, or on CHML's Facebook page. Yes, it is Facebook Live Fridays on Good Morning Hamilton. We're live for the next couple of segments. You can join in on the discussion on CHML's Facebook page. And of course, we're entering the final weekend of the federal election campaign. The main party leaders, the hundreds of candidates from coast to coast to coast, all stumping for votes this weekend. Today, tomorrow, Sunday, critical days for every candidate, really, in this country. Brooke Jeffrey is a political science professor at Concordia University and joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Brooke. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I can only imagine the never-ending finger-pointing that is going to be going on this weekend. What, what are you expecting over the next three days? Well, as you say, these are critical days because the race is so close. So every little advantage counts. In a sense, this is a bit like the beginning of the campaign when we had some unexpected developments with Afghanistan and also with Quebec. And now we have, of course, this sudden emphasis on uh, the pandemic once again. So the, the debate during the uh, weeks of the election has been all over the map, essentially. In, in the absence of one clear question for voters, people are looking, all of the leaders are looking for uh, some kind of wedge issue, and, and that's the one that's emerged most recently, and I'm sure it will continue to be a subject of discussion in the next few days. I would just add, perhaps, that Saskatchewan, along with Alberta, uh, is in a, a very poor situation as well, and for the same sorts of reasons. You're exactly right. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny to think about all the different major election issues that we've talked about. You know, climate change identified as one of the top issues, housing affordability, uh, you know, Afghanistan and Canada's uh, relationship to, uh, you know, the war on terror over the last 20 years and our controversial pullout along with the allied forces from that country, all while the pandemic is still going on. And it's somewhat surprising that the pandemic and pandemic recovery hasn't dominated the discussion. 
Well, of course, it's also something that, <laughs> I suppose, on the one hand, it became commonplace. Uh, people were, uh, at this point, after more than 18 months when the writ was dropped, uh, very familiar with the pandemic and the issues. And I think uh, certainly the Liberals expected that their record, which the vast majority of uh, Canadians in public opinion polls felt had handled it well, I think they thought that they they were not going to have to be dealing with concern over that. And if you look at the timeline for the eruption of problems in places like Saskatchewan and Alberta, it's actually very recent. It wasn't something that was on the radar the day the writ was dropped. So that that has reintroduced the issue in a in a much more significant way. Very much so. Brooke Jeffrey is our guest, political science professor at Concordia University. Um, we'll stay with the Alberta issue. How damaging is the situation in that province to Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives? Well, I suppose on the one hand, it ought not to be. I mean, it is clearly a provincial issue, <laughs> um, and from that point of view, it's it's logically not something that Mr. O'Toole should have to pay a big price for. But he intervened in the issue himself by praising Mr. Kenny, as you know, a few uh, weeks ago, and certainly in the past as well, for his handling of that event. And it's also true that the provinces, and we could probably add Ontario here as well, that have had the, the worst records in terms of many different stages of the campaign and how they've handled it are the are the provinces with provincial governments and manitoba as well so you know the ones that are doing well are not the provincial governments and therefore people are going to notice the fact that this is a connection with the federal leader and then mr trudeau's been very articulate in connecting mr o'toole as well because of his rather hesitant stance on vaccination uh, you mentioned Ontario. Uh, I find it interesting that Ontario Premier Doug Ford has basically vanished off the face of the earth during this campaign, during a pandemic. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was a tacit understanding with Mr. O'Toole that his presence wasn't something that would help the federal campaign. Uh, Mr. Ford is also one of the least po- uh, pre- uh, sorry, one of the least popular premiers. Uh, at the time. And, of course, he only recently gave in on the vaccine passport and vaccination issues uh, himself. So he, it, it it is something that is very prevalent among the, the provinces led by conservative premiers. Contrast that, for example, with Quebec, where Mr. Legault is very possibly one of the few po- popular premiers, and therefore his role in the campaign has been very different in terms of his decision to try and support the conservatives. Uh, which I think has backfired, quite frankly, and the bloc is benefiting from that. What part of the country, and I know there's several different areas that are, uh, you know, have bellwether ridings, but provincially, whether it's, you know, GTA in Ontario, whether it's, you know, parts of B.C., Quebec, or Atlantic Canada, which of those four do you think is going to help determine what we see on Monday? Well, I think at this point it's quite clear that Quebec and B.C. are the key players. Um not to put too fine a point on it, the Liberals already hold most of the seats in Atlantic Canada. Uh, They're doing well in Ontario as they did before. Of course, there are a few seats here or there that are in play, but and they can't really take any seats on the prairies. So if they were to try and get a majority, which would have been their thinking here, they would have already been focusing on Quebec and B.C. And as this election has played out and things have been much closer than they anticipated, 
they continue to have to focus on Quebec and BC as the only places where they can really pick up seats. This also is a factor. There's something called vote efficiency. I won't get into too much detail, but what it means is that the Conservatives can win seats in Alberta and Saskatchewan with 70% of the popular vote in a riding, but it doesn't get them anywhere. It still only gets them one seat, and that confuses the issue of how well they're doing. So they're going to take the seats on the prairies, but where else can they take seats? And it appears that B.C. is the place where they're going to be in competition with the Liberals, whereas in Quebec it's still the bloc. The Conservatives have not made progress there. It's going to be fun to watch. Brooke Jeffrey, thanks for the time, and enjoy the weekend, and of course, uh, enjoy the show on Monday. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Brooke Jeffrey is a political science professor at Concordia University, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Big game tonight on uh, the field at Tim Hortons Field, not on the ice on Tim Hortons Field, and that is Tiger Cats and Stampeders. And quarterback David Watford is going to get the start tonight when the 2-3 and three Tabbies take on the 2-4 and four Stamps. Now, Watford, as you probably know, replaced Dane Evans last week in Toronto. He gets the nod ahead of Jeremiah Masoli. Star receiver Brandon Banks isn't going to play. He remains on Hamilton's injured list. So he'll miss his second straight game. You can listen to the game here on 900 CHML. The pregame show begins at 6. Kickoff is at 7. Ticats Audio Network color analyst and former CFL star Luke Tasker joins us on Good Morning Hamilton to preview the game. Good morning, Luke. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Not too bad. Um, I, I would think that the first question is, what do you expect out of David Watford tonight? So it's always hard to take over. Um, you know, you've got an experienced uh, and, and Dane Evans and an experienced Jeremiah Mazzoli. And then, you know, David obviously has not had as much a chance to play. Um, I think what you'd want to look for is is a, a somewhat simplified offensive system early on in the game. And in my mind, that means making some quicker and easier decisions uh, for for Watford. To be honest, I think the best, the absolute best thing that Watford could do is just not turn the ball over. I think you can afford uh, incompletions. You can afford uh, even some bad decisions short of turning the ball over. Uh, You've got to have a team effort with a young quarterback, so there's going to be times where you know some drives that uh, that that struggle to to find a rhythm offensively. If the special teams and defense can play a, a pretty um, a pretty st- a strong game tonight, I think that allows a young quarterback to find to, to you know feel his way into the game and then uh, into that second half uh, start having some rhythm again. If you win the turnover ratio uh, in a game with a young quarterback, that's a huge win. The uh, crazy stat from the CFL stats department shows us that this marks just the third time since 1954 that Hamilton will have three different starting QBs in the first six games of any season. How does a quarterback merry-go-round like this affect the team on and off the field? Yeah, you know, it it, it is tough. Um, And I think it's particularly a challenge for the rest of the offensive lineup. You know, you're trying to get a little cohesiveness, and that's not easy to do. Um, you know, the foot, the game comes down to each player doing their own job though. You know, you really, you know, you have to identify the way that you help the team win and do your best with that. It is the hardest position in sports. There's a lot riding on it. Um, and, and it certainly affects the way that the, 
that a team progresses through the game. That is the play, the play of the quarterback, you know, affects the, affects the way that the game progresses, but it's also, um, you know, like I mentioned, I mean, winning a game requires a great performance on defense and a great performance on special teams as well. So, um, you know, you can never make the mistake of assuming it's all on, on one, uh, on one position group or one player. Um, excited to see how David can, can do under, uh, you know, against a team that, you know, historically has been, has had a great, you know, decade of football at least, but, uh, but, you know, and this year is, is trying to find, uh, find their way as well. Yeah, the Stamps are 2-4, and four, Hamilton 2-3. and three. Uh, Luke, we'll have to leave it there as we're battling against the clock. Appreciate the time. Have a good call with R.J. Broadhead tonight as well. Of course. Thank you very much. That is uh, Luke Tasker, former CFL All-Star receiver, now a color analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. And, of course, you can hear the game. Pre-game show at 6 o'clock here on CHML. Kickoff is at 7. And, as always, after the game, tune into CHML and on CHML's Facebook page for the fifth quarter powered by Eastgate Ford. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Pleased to be joined now by Green Party leader Annamie Paul on Good Morning Hamilton. Annamie, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Rick? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us uh, once again. One last weekend to go in the campaign. How are you feeling? Uh, other than tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, uh, it was great uh, getting out um, to see our candidate out in Kitchener Center. Uh, he has a real shot there. It was just lovely to be out in PEI. Uh, with all of our maritime greens, uh, so it's it's been nice. These are the first, uh, you know, relatively big events that we've been able to have since the pandemic altogether is green, so those are nice. You really impressed a lot of people at the leaders' debate last week. The question is, will it translate into more votes and potentially a, another seat or two for your party? That's a great question. <laughs> I guess we'll I guess we'll find out in three or four uh, days. Uh, you know, it was it was an honor to to be up there uh and uh if i represented our candidates well then that's wonderful you know they just deserve every single uh chance that they can get they're working so hard and i know they'd make great representatives for their communities so if i help give them a boost at all then i'm extremely gratified by that for listeners who who don't follow politics as closely as maybe other people do, there has been a lot of drama behind the scenes with uh, with your party, including a push at one point to remove you as leader. Have you done enough to remain the party's leader after Monday? Uh, well, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I'm the right person to answer uh, that question. Uh, I'm yeah, I think that that's probably it. That's a it's a it's a good question, but it's uh, it's probably not one for me. I mean, I'm just. Uh, focused on these last uh, few days, and I would do the things that I've done, um, you know, to support our candidates during this election in any case. So I'm really just trying to do the things that the things that I think a good leader should in order to uh, try to get some additional Green MPs elected. I'll ask it this way. Do you want to remain leader after Monday's vote? Uh, yeah, and, you know, my, my line, and I know that all the leaders have been asked that, that question, uh, my response is just to ask me uh, that on the uh, the 21st. Uh, there's so there's so few days left, and uh, the closer you get to the finish line, the more you have to focus on the day that's in front of you uh, today. Um, you know, I said that it's been there have been real challenges. Uh, it certainly hasn't been uh, the experience that I thought it would be. Um, it was really important for me to 
go into this election giving our candidates the best chance that they could of winning because I believe that they deserve that and I think that Canadians would be better served by having more Greens in Parliament. Uh, so the focus hasn't been on uh, on me and, and my leadership beyond uh, beyond um, the end of uh, the election. Uh, it's something I'm going to be thinking about uh, once we get past the election. What were your expectations coming in? Uh, for the election? Or well, well, just for you as uh, your party, you as the leader, what, what were uh, some of the goals and some of the aspirations that you had? Oh, well, I was elected uh, with a really strong mandate from the members, uh, to bring more diversity to the party. You know, we're a party that uh, has historically struggled with that. We had the least diverse slate of candidates in the uh, 2019 election. Uh, and so that was something that I wanted to work on. And that's something I'm very proud of. You know, I launched a, a uh, recruitment campaign for candidates, uh, which even though even without the full slate of candidates, uh, has us with 70% of our candidates coming from uh, what are called equity-seeking groups, so, you know, women, people of color, people with disabilities. Um, and uh, so I'm very proud of that. That was a big thing. Uh, bringing more democracy to politics in general, less of a culture of hyper-partisanship, uh, and then also more democracy within our party. Those were really important things for, for me as well. So um, in some ways, I was able to, uh, to succeed, and in other ways, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Any predictions for Monday? Uh, well, you know, things, unless some big thing happens, and I'm sure you know that a day in politics is like a year anywhere else, uh, but unless some big thing happens over the next few days, it looks like we're headed for another minority. Just don't know, you know, what kind of, if it's going to be a blue or a red minority. Um, my, I'm hoping that what people are doing is, is thinking about how they can elect um, people back to Parliament that are really committed to working together in uh, the way that we did in the first few months of the pandemic, because that's really what we need. Uh, the climate is not going to solve itself. It's not going to solve itself if we're fighting with each other in Parliament. Uh, and, of course, people are expecting real change after the pandemic to keep uh, Canadians better protected. So if we send people back that are committed to that, then I'm excited about the future. Ms. Paul, always appreciate the time. Good luck on Monday. Thank you so much, Rick. Take care. Enjoy the rest of the day. You too. Green Party leader Annamy Paul joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Hey, the good old hockey game is going to be coming to Hamilton on March the 13th. Yeah, the NHL coming to Hamilton, at least for one game. Leafs, Sabres are going to duke it out in the 2022 Tim Hortons NHL Heritage Classic at Tim Hortons Field. The Sabres are going to become the first American-based team to play in a Heritage Classic, which did not appear on the NHL's calendar last season because of the pandemic-shortened season. And this is going to be the fourth time that Toronto will participate in an outdoor game. Buffalo has skated in two outdoor games. Here to give us uh, his thoughts on what may or may not happen on March 13th is Ryan Kennedy, senior writer at the Hockey News. Ryan, good morning. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. This should be a fun game. I mean, we have two divisional rivals who usually give the fans an entertaining contest, and now it's going to be outdoors. What do you think? I agree. I think it's going to be a fun one. You know, these outdoor games, uh, they're fun for the fans, but they're also fun for the players. It sort of takes them out of the the usual uh, rigmarole of a game, and, you know, you always get that cool atmosphere of, you know, what the rink is like in a in a different setting. You've got the weather that, you know, they, they will have to contend with, but at the same time, it kind of takes you back to your roots of just 
going out there and playing on a pond in the middle of winter. Um, so I, I think it'll be a fun one. There are, uh, I don't want to say a lot of outdoor games in the NHL nowadays, but there are a handful year in and year out. Is it losing a little bit of its luster, a little bit of its of appeal? Well, you know, I think from a national perspective, it might not be as exciting as it was when they, they first did it. But from everything I've heard, you know, for the for the teams involved and for the the host involved, it's always really fun. And I, I don't think that's going to diminish. So, you know, for Hamilton, I think this is going to be very exciting because, again, it's it's something different. It, it, they always put a unique spin on the presentation. I, I think they'll they'll build around it very nicely. So, you know, for, for everybody in sort of, sort of the Golden Horseshoe and uh, any Sabres fans, any Leafs fans, I think it's going to be very fun and very unique. Yeah, and it's actually not the first time that an outdoor game will be played, at least on that site. At over uh, Old Iverwind Stadium, they had two outdoor games. One was a Bulldogs-Marley's AHL game. They also had an alumni game the night before, which was way more interesting than the, the, the AHL game. And they also, and I think it was during the lockout in 04, I want to say, that Iverwind Stadium held an outdoor game with, uh, you know, basically the, 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 the traveling NHL locked out players. And it was rather entertaining. There have been, from an NHL perspective, a lot of good outdoor games, the best of which, in my opinion, I might be biased because I am a Leafs fan, was Toronto's 5-4 overtime win over Detroit uh, in the big house in Michigan. It was the 2017 Centennial Classic. And in that game, if you recall, the Red Wings tied it with a second left in front of about 100,000 fans. Do you have a favorite outdoor game or maybe a favorite moment from an outdoor game? Well, you know, I think about, you know, Toronto and Detroit, and I, I think that would be sort of up there because... Not only about the atmosphere, but also it really felt like a turning point for that particular Leafs team that was still very young. And it's interesting because with a lot of the outdoor games, I was actually covering the World Juniors. So often I was in Europe at the time, and I actually do remember with one of those classics being in Sweden with a bunch of other North American reporters and you know watching these games from afar it's kind of interesting because while i'm covering another tournament you sort of get excited and you get that sort of fandom back where it's like oh this is so cool like you know you see the weather and you know i know buffalo and pittsburgh had a really good one where there was a lot of snow um it's kind of fun watching it as a fan and not as a reporter yeah, very much so. I, I recall you, you mentioned Sidney Crosby's shootout goal as it's snowing at the old Ralph. Uh, Jose Theodore wearing the toque during a game because it was so cold. Um, Hamilton has been mentioned a few times in the past as a candidate to land an NHL franchise. Is holding this game in Hamilton a bit of a tease for local hockey fans, like dangling a carrot that we're never going to eat? Yeah, I, I don't know if... Uh, if- Tease is the right word, or if it's more sort of a, a reward for for being such a passionate market. Um, you know, obviously, you know the arena is is the big thing. You know, if Hamilton were ever to get a team, they they would need a new building at this point. Um, but I, I think it's a way of acknowledging that you know Hamilton's a, a big hockey town, and you know being able to support uh, the Bulldogs, whether they were an AHL team or an OHL team. Uh, is you know is, is something to be proud of, and you know the, these outdoor games, you know, 
even though we've had quite a few of them now, I mean, only so many markets have hosted them. And, uh, you know, for, for a, a, a city that doesn't ha- currently have an NHL team to be awarded one, I think it's saying something. Yeah, it is pretty cool. That's for sure. Ryan, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I will. Thanks for having me. Ryan Kennedy, senior writer at the Hockey News. I guess the one question is, with the pandemic still a thing, obviously, how many fans are going to be allowed at Tim Hortons Field come next March 13th? I guess uh, we shall see. Uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger saying he and local hockey fans are thrilled to hear the news, and it is some pretty cool news. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. It is time for the Good Morning Hamilton Roundtable here on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Zamperin. Pleased to be joined by Shona Thompson and Paul Tipple. Good morning. Good morning. Good happy Friday to you. Good morning, gentlemen. Finally. We made it. We did. Barely. And it feels like it's mid-July today. It's going to be 36 I know. I know. Hey, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Air my ears, he still works. <laughs> now uh, you've done it. Yeah, here we go. Here yeah, we go. You're right, knock on. Do we have wood here? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with this. It is our, our Twitter poll question today at AM 900 CHML. With the Leafs, Sabres outdoor game in Hamilton reinvigorate the discussion about the city's chances of landing an NHL franchise. It's a yes or no question. 82% are saying no. Paul, we'll start with you. What do you think? I agree with the 82%. Is that you wanted me to just say yes or no? No. <laughs> uh, here's, you know what? Ha- there are three main stories that occur. I've been working here for about 30 years. Yeah. Three main stories. The Red Hill Valley Parkway, uh, the NHL coming to Hamilton, and yeah. the LRT. The stories that will never, ever end. The NHL coming to Hamilton is over. It's ended. It's not happening. It, it's great that Tim Hortonsfield is hosting it. We're not going to have a team here. Let's stop talking about it. Shona? Enjoy the game while it lasts. <laughs> that will be it. <laughs> and it'll be fun. It'll be it fun. It'll be great. In town. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Leaf Sabres, it should be an exciting matchup. I think it will reinvigorate the discussion. You do, eh? For a little while, but not, not at City Council. You know, oh. they'll look at this and yeah. say, all right, yeah, it's it's fun. You know, it's a, it's a great community event. Go out and support the two teams. But I think it's going to be more so hockey fans here saying, Man, we should have a team. Kind of like, like we're talking about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, Rick, I'm, I'm with you on that. Are you a Leafs fan, Rick? Yes. Okay. So there is a certain optimism <laughs> that goes in the pathology of Leafs fans yes. of hoping for things that may never happen. <laughs> I think the worst thing, though, you know, being a Leafs fan and living in Hamilton would to be to have a Hamilton yeah. NHL team because now I, I'd be torn. Oh my goodness, it would be it would be brutal. Yeah. You live for being torn that way. Come well, on. Well, this is true too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I have to admit that Hamilton would be my team B at least for a little while, but you know. As soon as they win a first-round playoff series, unlike the Maple Leafs, I might hop over to the Hamilton team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole recently applauded Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's handling of the pandemic in that province. But now, as we know, there's a COVID health emergency in Alberta. They had once declared that they were open for the summer. Pandemic's basically done, according to their uh, medical officer of health, who is still the current medical officer of health. Will these latest developments impact conservative leader Aaron O'Toole's chances of winning Monday's election? Shona, what do you think? Uh, I think people's minds are made up. Okay. Um, I, that having been said, 
have no idea what's going to wind up happening uh, come Monday or Tuesday or, or even Wednesday when we finally get through all of the mail-in ballots. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's going to have that big an impact. Um, I think that, again, the people have made up their minds. I think it's going to have an impact, but not so much in Alberta. I think Alberta's Tory blue. The PCs have dominated that province, both provincially and federally, for decades, for eons. Uh, I don't think it's going to have an impact there, but I think it might have an impact in some other places like Ontario, the voting rich, you know, GTA area, Atlantic Canada, certainly a toss up, although the Liberals have dominated that portion of the country for a long time. And the other, you know, kind of question mark is BC and what happens there. Paul, uh, what big, how big of an impact do you think this is going to have? Well, uh, we are both Maple Leaf fans and we're sticking together on this one. I, okay. I was going to say <laughs> the exact same thing. I, I, I kind of agree with what Jonah. People in certainly in Alberta have made their minds up. Um, we have worked here for a long time and we've never really seen anything but except for a surprise provincially for a little bit. But federally, it's always been conservative. Uh, I think it'll stay that way. It's it's British Columbia and um, Saskatchewan next door that I think may, may have a little bit of a twist, though. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the writings that we can watch a little more closely as to see which way they may, may go now, because the conservative government, very conservative right-wing government, it's even more conservative than conservative in Alberta, um, has really fumbled the ball on this one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the other one, too, is Quebec. I mean, and that's on the other side of the country, and it has its own, you know, dichotomy, of course, when it comes to elections and uh, really their society, but uh, that'll be one to watch for sure on election night as well. One more topic on our Good Morning Hamilton roundtable. All anyone wants is for the pair of you to pull yourselves together, stop making spectacles of yourselves, and make this marriage and your enormously privileged positions in life work. And if I want to separate... You will not separate or divorce or let the side down in any way. And if one day you expect to be king... I do. Then might I suggest you start to behave like one. All right, so that is a clip from The Crown. And uh, with the 73rd Primetime Emmys on tap this weekend, The Crown might be, you know, uh, doing very well in terms of winning awards. Uh, Producer Liz has created an Emmys contest for us schleps here on Good Morning Hamilton. (laughs) There are eight categories for us to choose uh, from, but we're going to focus today on a couple, uh, Outstanding Drama and Outstanding Comedy. So in the Outstanding Drama Series category, we have Pose, Bridgerton, Lovecraft Country, The Handmaid's Tale, Star Wars The Mandalorian, This Is Us, The Boy. And the crown. Shona, what say you in this category? My heart is going to probably something. Well, I mean, the series, the whole franchise never wins major awards. Uh, and But it, I'm, I'm hoping for Star Wars The Mandalorian. Okay, so that's your pick. Paul? Yep. This is kind of like uh, for me, you know, doing well in cricket, figuring out what's happening in cricket. <laughs> <laughs> With overs? Yeah. We have overrunners. Because <laughs> I haven't seen any of these outstanding series. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> However, I'm going to make my prediction and go with Pose. Can I huh? tell you why? Oh, okay, yeah, tell us why. Uh, I think right now there's this entire focus on minority groups uh, mm-hmm. outside you know, the, the norm. Yeah. Pose is big into the LGBTQ, so I think the Emmys are going to look at it and say, this is a really well-done show. It's being done completely by the LGBTQ. Right. They get the win. Hey, that makes sense. Uh, I'm with Shona on this one. I'm a a huge Star Wars geek. I love The Mandalorian. It's a great Mm -hmm. series so far. And I haven't seen any of the other ones. So that's my my pick for Talk Show. And it has Katie Sackhoff in it. And she's Mm -hmm. awesome. Very much so. Okay, outstanding comedy series. Blackish, Cobra Kai, Emily in Paris, Ted Lasso, The Flight Attendant, The Kaminsky Method, Hacks, and Pen15. Paul, what's your pick? Okay, uh, I'm going to... 
give Shona some credit here. Uh, <laughs> I did research yesterday. She told me, oh, Paul, you got to see Hacks. So I spent four hours yesterday <laughs> watching the entire series. Oh, wow. And um, I love it. I think it's absolute. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was uh, intriguing. I thought there was there was some moments that really hit your heart. So I'm going to go with Hacks. Okay. And Shona? I'm going with Hacks because okay. I told Paul to watch yeah. it. Yes, he did. <laughs> so this this is another category where I've only seen two. Uh, I've seen oh. Blackish from time to time, not the, not the entire thing. I've seen Cobra Kai, which is kind of good, but not so much. Uh, and The Kaminsky Method, which is my pick. Um, fabulous series on Netflix. Uh, just some great characters, including Alan Arkin, who just, uh, you know, I, I love him to death. Yeah. Uh, that's my pick for the outstanding comedy series. We have Liz's picks, who's going with The Crown and Blackish, and producer Alicia also has her picks for drama and comedy. What say you, Alicia? What are your picks? Uh, so for the drama, I actually chose The Crown. Okay. I just think that it's a massive series. I personally have not watched the whole thing, uh, but I, I just think it's going to win. Okay. If I'm going off of that. If I went off of what I actually liked, I love The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Oh. But, <laughs> but you're going with The Crown officially. But I mean, this I'm is all the record here. Officially okay. to The Crown. All right. And, uh, and comedy? For the comedy, same thing. Um, I actually have only watched Cobra Kai, but <laughs> I, didn't, I, I don't see it winning. It's a great series. I love it. Um, so I actually chose Ted Lasso because I heard it's really high up there. In yeah, the I heard it. I've, I yeah. haven't seen it. See, but I've, I've like, heard it's good. I'm going off of like what I yeah, what other I people did are some saying. Research apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, my problem That's, with the Crown. Yeah. Um, when I'm watching it, you know, the guy who's playing um, Prince Charles, mm-hmm. and uh, that is, if looking quickly, Josh O'Connor and Emma Corrin, who's playing Princess Diana. Right. Their age difference is not enough. It just it just takes me off. It's not authentic enough for it's you. Not. It is okay. not. Just grab some Grey Poupon and you'll be fine. <laughs> Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.